This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The end of cannabis prohibition creeps closer every day. Now almost 60 percent of Americans live in jurisdictions where marijuana is either legal or decriminalized. The feds, however, haven't moved much. Aaron Parton, a research associate at the Cato Institute, says the evidence against prohibition is clear and Congress is increasingly ready to move. Among the remaining hurdles to reform is probably the president himself. We've seen a lot of efforts recently at the federal level to reform cannabis law, that is, to end uh, prohibition of marijuana. Where do things stand right now? Currently, there's legislation that we are expecting to be introduced in the Senate soon. Uh, Senators Chuck Schumer, Cory Booker, and Ron Wyden have been leading this charge to get some some sort of legislation put forward this session. Uh, this is nothing particularly new. Over the past several years, there have been a number of attempts, largely driven by members of the House, to decriminalize or legalize marijuana on the federal level. Those have been so far unsuccessful. Um, as with as with any hot button issue, the hardest part is really getting the bipartisan support necessary, uh, the votes necessary to to pass this legislation. Now, you make note in a uh, blog post with uh, Cato's Jeff Myron that 60%, nearly 60% of Americans live in a state where recreational marijuana use and possession are either legal or decriminalized. That's a really uh, a stunning fact. And of course, we're sitting at a time in which uh, support for ending cannabis prohibition is at an all-time high. Yeah. So recent polls show that nearly seven in 10 Americans support ending the criminalization of marijuana or cannabis products, whether that's through decriminalization measures, which have been gaining tractions in state uh, states recently, or through legalization, which has also been gaining traction. Uh, most recently, New York uh, and Virginia are the two two latest members uh, to kind of come to the party, so to speak, and get on board with legalized recreational marijuana use. Um, at this point, any states that that haven't jumped on board yet are really uh, kind of fight, fighting. They're going against the current, uh, so to speak. They're, um, it almost seems inevitable. Uh, of course, nothing's inevitable. Uh, this federal push won't have any direct impact on whether or not states do cho- do inevitably legalize, but um, it will possibly push for legislators and grassroots level referendums to, to start popping up in these new states. So what has the state experience been? I know uh, you have attempted to estimate what the fiscal impact has been for uh, state budgets, but oh, so what have you found? Well, we found that Marijuana legalization is a fantastic source of tax revenue. Uh, we've examined, of course, Washington, Oregon, Colorado um, in depth. Uh, those are states that were early adopters of legal marijuana regimes. Uh, and they've had a huge amount of success in generating revenue, uh, primarily through establishing systems of um, legal sale. And that's, of course, you know the big hurdle for many states. It's easy to say, okay, uh, cannabis is legal now. It's a lot harder to set up a structure that regulates the uh, the growth, the sale, the manufacture of cannabis derivatives. Um, and for for naysayers, for those arguing against the legalization of marijuana, 
we really don't find that many impacts. You do see a slightly increased use of marijuana in states that have legalized it. Um, you would expect to see that in terms of effects on uh, test scores for high school and middle school students, in terms of traffic accidents and fatalities and other public health indicators. You really don't see much, if any, movement. So we can kind of say overall the impact of marijuana legalization hasn't been so much a a boom as just, you know, a little a little pop. I spoke recently with Jim Higdon. He is a cannabis entrepreneur in Kentucky and, uh, and a former journalist who, who covered this issue extensively. And he said that the farm bill is the way to go. Uh, and I think he shared probably some similar concerns that you or I would share, which is if you're concerned about excessive federal regulation in this industry, where, as you point out, we, we've seen almost... Uh, no real impact on things like test scores or traffic fatalities, uh, things that, that are would be considered negative uh, indicators uh, under a legalization regime. He says, if you want to avoid all of that, just increase the allowable THC content uh, under the farm bill. And suddenly what everyone knows as marijuana is legal and you haven't created this superstructure of regulation. Right. And I think that's I think that approach has some merit um, where that approach falls possibly a little bit short in is uh, many of the advocates, uh, including Senator Schumer, Booker and Wyden, are really focusing on kind of attacking two problems at once. First, decriminalize uh, cannabis federally. And second, take a approach to try to attack the criminal justice side of the issue by expunging records uh, by ending enforcement, by dropping cases currently pending. So if it kind of depends at the end of the day what the goal is. Um, I think even decriminalization, which falls short of of legalization, and that's I think that's an important distinction. Um, at the end of the day, you know, it's decriminalization is a baby step, but it's it's still a step in the right direction. Younger people may not know this, but President Joe Biden, back in the 90s, was a big-time drug warrior and seemed to revel in putting people in jail for uh, crimes such as those uh, that would would get you popped uh, involving uh, cannabis. Do we have any sense of where he is on this today? Right. I think, if anything, President Biden might be a larger hurdle than getting 60 votes in the Senate. Um, his administration has not said much in recent weeks or months, but from the campaign trail and from his his history, he is very much against legalization and might be lukewarm at best on the issue of decriminalization. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think if the Senate is able to find the adequate an adequate number of votes to to pass any inter, any legislation that may be introduced in the coming days and weeks, um, I don't think that President Biden would uh, choose to veto it. He might be a little bit loath to um, to accept the new status quo, but I think uh, he realizes that it is, with public opinion shifting the way it has in, th in the past several years, um, it's a losing battle. And I don't think one that he would choose to, 
to uh, take. One of the uh, arguments I hear that uh, also with our with my podcast with Jim Higdon, a, a point that he made is that a lot of the cannabis products that flow into states where it is still prohibited, a lot of those products might very well be junk or worse than junk. Uh, it could be actively damaging to people. And that may be because this is a product that did not pass legal muster in the states where cannabis has been legalized. So for the remaining states, the 40-some percent of Americans who live in, in states where uh, cannabis has not been made legal for or decriminalized for recreational purposes, that could be a, 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 a severe problem. Right. And that gets to the heart of why prohibition doesn't and never has worked. Uh, people will always find black or gray markets to go to. The products in those markets are typically um, uh, unregulated, frequently unsafe. You know, going back to the bathtub gin of of uh, alcohol pro prohibition, you don't, simply speaking, you don't know what you're getting and your suppliers don't have any incentive to make sure that the product they give you is safe because if it harms you, they face no consequences. You're not going to, you know, call the authorities and say, hi, I illegally purchased these drugs. I would like to turn in my supplier because they made me sick. Um, no, you're, it's, it's just going to be you uh, by yourself, uh, hopefully hopefully not too sick. So the, uh, the DEA and uh, the president, there's this weird scheduling of drugs that we have where we're in a situation uh, right now where cocaine is a Schedule II drug. Cannabis is a Schedule One drug, which Schedule One indicates no medical value and high potential for abuse. Cocaine apparently doesn't quite meet that uh, qualification, but where does scheduling stand now? Something that could be done effectively without Congress. Right. The DEA could, if they chose to, deschedule or reschedule marijuana in the, you know, tomorrow. Of course, there are some administrative burdens. It would take some time, but that is that is an option. However, they seem to have no inclination to do so. Um, as you said, right now, marijuana is uh, classified as a Schedule One substance, having no medicinal value and a high potential for abuse. The no medicinal value is a dubious claim at best, given the growing medical and scientific literature surrounding research related to the effects of cannabis on uh, health issues such as glaucoma, depression, pain, and the like. There's actually a case right now in the Ninth Circuit, Sisley uh, v. DEA, where the uh, complainants are attempting to compel the DEA to reschedule marijuana, arguing that given that two-thirds of the states have legalized medical marijuana in some form, there are the argument that marijuana has no medicinal use is entirely inaccurate. Uh, that's, of course, uh, I believe that case was originally filed in 2019. It's still working its way through through the courts, but um, it will be interesting to keep an eye on that and see whether or not the DEA is, is instructed to rethink how they classify marijuana. Aaron Parton is a research associate at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>